welcome to On Contact. Today we discuss an economy trapped in the scaffolding of debt with economist Michael Hudson. I don't see any escape mechanism. The lowering interest rates was simply to inflate real housing prices right. and the stock prices. And that's, that uh, inflating the stock prices and lowering the interest rates means people can't get a safe way of saving for their retirement. So, uh, uh, and the pension funds go broke. So there go people's pensions. They're not going to be, uh, the old people are going to be suffering, especially as in the case of Greece again, and as was the case in antiquity. So everywhere you look, uh, in putting the interest of the creditors who are the 1% over the 99%, the economy is cons uh, committing financial suicide. Tens of millions of Americans are trapped in punishing debt peonage, most of which can never be repaid. Credit card debt, auto debt, bank debt, medical debt, mortgage debt, and student debt, now $1.5 trillion, siphons off larger and larger portions of our income. The rise of an oligarchic class of Wall Street creditors, enriched primarily from imposing debt peonage on the population, is, as Karl Marx observed, part of the cyclical nature of capitalism itself. These creditors first create a mafia economy and then a mafia state. Left unchecked, all power devolves into the hands of these parasitic class of creditors. Ancient cultures were acutely aware that allowing an oligarchic elite to oppress a society through debt peonage destroys not only the financial health of the state, but social cohesion. Debt in ancient societies for this reason was not sacrosanct. In fact, ancient societies from Sumer and Babylon understanding that debts eventually grow faster than the ability to pay, routinely resolve the crisis by wholesale debt forgiveness. I am joined in the studio by Michael Hudson, the author of And Forgive Them From Their Debts, Credit and Redemption, who looks at how past societies freed themselves from the death grip of a class of creditors who, as has happened today, have used their control of the financial system to become de facto rulers. I, as a former seminarian, I, I have to begin uh, with something that I did not understand, but that you laid out in the book, and that is the centrality of the forgiveness of debts to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, it was basic, uh, basically uh, the gospel of Judaism when the Bible was first uh, put together from the returnees of Babylon. Uh, and when the exiles came back from Babylonia, they'd become familiar with uh, the Babylonian practice uh, of what became the Jubilee year. The word for the Jubilee year in Hebrew, Duror, is a cognate to Babylonian Andararum. And the three parts uh, had been proclaimed for 2,000 years in Babylonia. Uh, you cancel the personal debts, not the business debts, only the personal debts. You free the debt bond persons, and you give back the uh, lands that they'd forfeited to creditors. Uh, and 
So you can imagine what uh, the uh, Jewish exiles saw in Babylonia. They saw throughout the Near East, whenever a new ruler would come to the throne, the first act they would do would be an economic liberty act, a clean slate, a sort of return to the origin. And they say, we want to begin our reign in balance. And if it's in balance, we wipe out the main cause of imbalance. We cancel all of the debts. And this did not create a crisis because most of the debts were tax arrears. Most of the debts were owed to the palace for either uh, uh, taxes or for uh, the advance of agricultural uh, draft animals or water or other payments. And so the, uh, it was easy to, for rulers to cancel the debts when you're canceling debts to yourself. Uh, much harder when you're canceling debts to the rich people, which is why uh, the rulers of the Near East didn't want an independent oligarchy to develop. Uh, when they canceled the debts, they were preserving the, uh, they were saving the economy from a takeover by the wealthy creditors. Well, when the exiles returned uh, to uh, uh, Jerusalem, they, that's when they compiled the whole Bible and they wrote the whole uh, history as if uh, Moses himself had put the laws of Leviticus to cancel the debts every 50 years right in the center of religion. Because by the time they came back to Israel, uh, if you uh, looked at the early books of the Bible, the kings of Israel were not uh, uh, presented in a very good light. And by that time, uh, in the first millennium, uh, the uh, kings had sort of represented uh, the wealthy uh, classes. So uh, the Jewish solution was to take uh, the debt cancellation out of the hands of uh, kings and put it right in the center of the religion. So that became a fight for the next uh, 400 years. And by the time uh, of Jesus, we know from the Dead Sea Scrolls that uh, there was a very large uh, popular uh, pressure for uh, debt forgiveness because we have midrashes, that is uh, collections of uh, what the Bible said from the prophets uh, to, uh, to the uh, laws of Moses, all the different biblical passages having to do with debt. And I, I, I show this uh, document uh, uh, from uh, Milky Zadok uh, uh, in the book. And so what Jesus was doing was picking up uh, the traditional uh, mosaic law that had uh, gradually uh, been opposed more and more as uh, 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 many Jews got wealthier. Uh, they became Pharisees or Sadducees, and they opposed the whole idea of Well, this is the only uh, act by Jesus that can be considered violent is when he overturns the tables of the Pharisees, of the moneylenders, in the temple. Yes. You talk, uh, before we get into the gospel, you actually talk about uh, how the Ten Commandments themselves are deeply concerned with debt. You cite, thou shalt not covet my neighbor's wife, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. And you, you link this to, again, debt peonage. Well, very often, if uh, a debtor couldn't pay uh, the creditor, he would have to pledge a family member, normally uh, the daughter or, or even the wife. And uh, very often, uh, uh, there, there was the, usually a sexual relationship involved, because both in the Bible and Babylonian laws, there are all sorts of rules for what, to ha what happens when a uh, master has children by uh, uh, the debt servant. So not coveting the neighbor's wife means don't make a loan to someone who can't pay because he 
you want to sleep with their wife as a debt servant. Same thing with theft. Uh, it, uh, the idea of taking their property by debt. We will make you a loan, and if you can't pay, we'll take your land. That was considered part of a theft. And don't take the Lord's name in vain uh, meant uh, in a court proceeding, is in America, you have to swear on the Bible. You have to swear to be telling the truth. And if you swear that you've made uh, a, uh, a loan and the debtor owes you money, that's in violation of the Mosaic Law, Leviticus 25, uh, saying there's supposed to be a debt cancellation uh, uh, every 50 years. So all of these uh, commandments were designed to promote a, an economy that they're continually, it wouldn't be debt free, but when the debts would develop, you would wipe them, you would start over, you'd keep uh, renewing the economy so that it wouldn't polarize, because if you don't cancel the debts, then the economy does what you said in your opening remarks. If you don't cancel the debts, the economy polarizes between creditors and debtors, and the creditors take over first the land, then uh, the, uh, the uh, economy, and then the government, and then religion, and they uh, rewrite uh, the law, history, and religion in their own uh, self-interest, which is what was happening in the time of Jesus. Well, we see with the end of the Roman Empire the inability to carry out a jubilee and the consequences. But before I ask that, I'll ask the fundamental question, which I'm sure you've been asked before, is if in ancient society they knew there was a jubilee, why would they lend money? Well, that's a trick question because most uh, debts were not the result of people lending money. Uh, the preparation for this book was five uh, colloquia uh, that I held over a period of 20 years uh, organized by Harvard University. And uh, we had a seriologist's uh, study uh, with all of the cuneiform documents. So we have the debt documents. Uh, we have the legal cases. And we found that 75% of the debts in Babylonia weren't loans at all. They were tax arrears. They were money that was owed to the palace and you couldn't pay because the crops failed or there was a flood or there was a drought or uh, people got sick. And so uh, they, they weren't loans at all. They were arrears. And especially this was the case in Jesus' time. People owed taxes to Rome. And if they couldn't pay, then the tax collector would say, OK, you couldn't pay. I'm, uh, I'm going to take your land and I'm going to make you a... Uh, uh, a debt uh, servant. Uh, that, that was uh, really it. So uh, when uh, Hillel, uh, representing uh, the wealthy uh, uh, Pharisees, said, well, who would make a loan if you think it'll uh, be canceled, uh, was just misrepresenting the situation in something that sounded plausible until you look at the facts and then you realize that uh, he was just acting as the lawyer, uh, the spokesman for the creditors, trying to distract attention from how the economy actually worked. So let's go to the end of Rome, because now the, that 50-year cycle or whatever it is, that uh, ability to restart society, free themselves from debt peonage, create economic equilibrium is no longer honored, and what happens? Well, then the credit, uh, if you read uh, the histories of Rome written by Livy, by Dionysius of uh, uh, Halicarnassus, by Diodorus, Every Roman historian attributed the fall of the Roman uh, Republic to the greed of creditors, ending up killing every politician who represented the debtors or who, who uh, opposed the monopolization of the land was murdered. Yeah. And that happened from the 5th century all the way down 
to the uh, 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 to the time uh, of uh, Julius Caesar. So there were the two brothers. What were they? The, the Gracchi, Gracchi brothers right. in 133 B.C. Killed by the Senate. Yes, <laughs> who took uh, uh, who all together, as in the killing of Caesar, took the uh, uh, the uh, benches and pushed the uh, plebeian. Uh, advocates of uh, land redistribution and debt cancellation pushed them over the edge of the Tarpeian Rock to, to fall. And what happens economically within Rome as an example? Because I think you know we are very much in now in a society that sees the debt as sacrosanct that you can't uh, you can't forgive. Yeah, what happened to Rome, and then we'll talk about us. Well, by not canceling the debts, uh, people ended up as uh, uh, debt servants to the creditors. Uh, they were put uh, basically in slave uh, barracks. The population basically plunged. Uh, uh, the money economy dried up because there was no more money. The creditors had it all, and you had maybe the 1% the of the Roman population spending the little money that there was on luxury imports, and uh, the rest of the economy reverted to barter. So uh, you have uh, barter is the final stage uh, of the monetary system. You begin with economies being credit economies. All throughout uh, Sumerian uh, history, Babylonia, these were uh, you, it operated on credit, and you'd pay the debts when the harvest was in, on the threshing floor. Then you had a money economy. Money gradually was a means of paying debts. And finally, you had no money uh, in Rome left. Uh, the rich people didn't want to pay their taxes, just like today. Uh, when you, uh, I think they made Donald Trump emperor in uh, uh, the first century. <laughs> and uh, he cut all the taxes on the rich. And so there was no money coming in. And so they had to debase the coinage. And uh, uh, it ended up everyone worked for barter. And you had feudalism. So the, re the end result of not canceling the debt was feudalism in Western Europe. And there was only a survival in uh, the Byzantine uh, eastern half of the Roman Empire that did have the debt cancellations, that did have uh, the uh, constraints on creditors taking land and on uh, the large landowners preventing uh, what had happened in Western Europe. And what you argue in the book is that the difference between then and now is that uh, today's governments globally have essentially been completely seized by creditors, and there's no countervailing force. You could say that that's what distinguishes Western civilization, uh, what's called Western civilization, really gr Greeks and Rome on, from Near Eastern, the Bronze Age takeoff. And in the Bronze Age, in the third millennium BC, in Sumer and Babylonia, you have all of the elements of enterprise and commerce developed. Uh, and you didn't have uh, interest-bearing debt brought to the Mediterranean until the 8th century BC by uh, Levantine traders in uh, Greece and in Italy. And they brought in interest-bearing debt, but they didn't have kings. They had, as you put it, mafia, uh, mafiosi leaders. And uh, so these local uh, uh, chieftains and later warlords uh, would take the practice of charging interest without the debt cancellation and from the very beginning you didn't have the circular time anymore. You, you had a linear time and a linear time means you can't go back to the beginning, you can't have a clean slate, you can't wipe down the debt. We'll, we'll come back to that. It's called Goldman Sachs, right? <laughs> uh, when we come back we'll continue our conversation about debt peonage and forgiveness with author Michael Hudson. <laughs>
I'm Commissioner Bart Chilton. When money slips through your fingers, who's to blame? What makes economies boom or bust? Poor regulation, corporate greed, incoherent policy, or maybe all three? Question more. Fake partisan news, lies, and conspiracy. It's time to wake up, to dig deeper, to hit the stories that mainstream media refuses to tell. More than ever, we need to be smarter. We need to stop slamming the door on the facts and shouting past each other. It's time for critical thinking. It's time to fight for the middle, for the truth. The time is now for watching closer, for watching the Hawks. Contact, we continue our conversation about debt forgiveness with author and professor Michael Hudson. Before I go into the German miracle, quote unquote miracle, uh, you point out that the linguistic origins of the word sin and debt are the same. They're the same not only in the Indo-European languages, schuld in uh, uh, German, I'm schuldig, means either I am guilty or I owe money, but also in Hebrew and in uh, Babylonian uh, and all these languages. And uh, the reason is that it, it's not sinful to run a debt, just the opposite. If you've created an offense, if you've uh, killed somebody or injured them and you owe them money, uh, uh, you... Uh, the, instead of having a uh, vindictive uh, fight among families, you, uh, a fine was levied. And the fine that was levied to, uh, to make reparation for the injury that you've caused was called uh, the schuld uh, or, or uh, the debt. So uh, the, the key of the debt and sin uh, metonymy is not that uh, uh, not sin. It begins with it was a payment. It was a debt for having inflicted personal injury. In uh, uh, English, you call this vergelt. Uh, it was a Germanic uh, word for uh, injuring uh, somebody. The man price. And uh, in prim in uh, primitive society, the only kind of debts you really had were interpersonal debts uh, for uh, for injury and. The idea was not to uh, impoverish society at all, but to prevent uh, feuds and feud justice um, from uh, taking place. And even then, if uh, somebody had committed a, 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 a sin uh, and they couldn't pay, they were exiled. But when a new king would come to power, the first thing the king would do would be to uh, proclaim an amnesty. And the amnesty was let the exiles return because everybody needed population and uh, they don't owe any money. So the uh, the amnesty that you find in 
all Indo-European society, in a, a Sumerian and Babylonian society, and Jewish society, uh, all was the idea of amnesty, meaning uh, we've got to have a clean slate. We can't just uh, uh, let people either be exiled or fall into poverty or fall into uh, uh, debt slavery. Uh, we've got to restore freedom. And that's why they were called either uh, economic liberty acts, uh, because they liberated uh, everyone from uh, the sin of uh, payment uh, obligation, uh, or they were just called uh, restorations of order. Uh, you restore order so society can take place without all of these uh, problems from the past. And you had a, it was like a New Year celebration, although it was different, and uh, everybody would have a big celebration and, and the new king would take the throne, there'd be a coronation ceremony, and everything would be fine again and you could start the whole cycle all over again. But as you point out, Western society becomes linear. Ancient society was cyclical like Asian society. Yep. And like Greek, ancient Greece, thought of time as cyclical. Um, so in the linear society, where, as you said, in essence, these debts, no matter how far they go back, look at Haiti, didn't pay off its debt till 1944. Yep, that was a uh, disaster. For the only successful slave revolt in human history. Yep. Um, and, and so this understanding of restoring the equilibrium is gone. And yet we have modern examples of how debt forgiveness is economically beneficial, and that's Germany. Yes. Uh, when the Allies uh, uh, took over and reformed Germany in 1947-1948, uh, the first thing they did was cancel all the debts. And that was easy because the debts were owed to people who'd been Nazis during the war. So but they canceled all the debts except the debts that employers owed to their workforce uh, and except, except for basic working balances in the banks. And this was called the German economic miracle. Uh, and any country can have an economic miracle by canceling the debts uh, because you imagine uh, how much Americans could afford to buy if they didn't have to pay their debts. If you didn't have the student loan debt and the mortgage debt and all the debts that you mentioned earlier, uh, imagine how many goods and services they could buy. You'd have, you'd have a, uh, a recovery, you'd, you'd have an economic boom. And the reason you're having a uh, recession of labor right now is because so much more and more money has to be paid for debt service that people don't have enough money to buy the goods and services that employ labor. So there's uh, uh, wages really are not going up very much. Uh, stores are closing all over uh, New York City, certainly. And uh, you're, you're, uh, this is the price that we pay for uh, pretending that equilibrium is paying all of your debts and keeping, and uh, equilibrium is not paying your debts. You cannot have uh, e uh, economic balance if uh, the debts keep mounting up and up and up at compound interest. And the Babylonians recognize this. In the second millennium BC, we have their economic models. And the economic model, the mathematical models, the Babylonians used are superior to any mathematical model used uh, today in any university. Because the model was quite simple. On the one hand, they calculated how fast does a debt grow at compound interest? Then they calculated how fast do herds of animals grow? And it's an S-curve. It tapers off. How fast does the economy grow? And you can very easily see that the debts grow faster than the economy. And if you don't cancel the debts, then the whole economy is going to fall into debt to a creditor class uh, and is going to 
fall apart. Uh, and today, people will, for, will forecast GDP, how is it growing, how is the economy growing, but they don't look at debt and they don't say, wait a minute, if the debt's growing, how are people going to pay interest charges on this debt and amortization and penalty rates that are larger than interest and at the same time buy goods and services. It's so obvious that there's a contradiction in this uh, that people get Nobel Prizes for saying let's assume the whole economy operates on barter and there's no, no debt, no credit, we're not going to talk about debt, we're not going to talk about money, and so uh, the economic models that are taught in the universities are as if we're in a barter economy without debt, and that's why uh, they're wrong all the time. Well, government debt alone, within 10 years, will be a trillion dollars on just paying interest, uh -huh. just interest. Yes, uh, the government has an, it doesn't have to run into debt. It can simply print the money, as uh, occurred in the Civil War with the greenbacks. All this borrowing is unnecessary. So basically, uh, in the creditor-run society, they say, not, first of all, uh, you have to cut our taxes so you don't have money. Uh, and now that you've cut our taxes and you're running a deficit, you have to borrow the money from us and pay us interest instead of printing the money yourself. What are the consequences? I mean, it, it, it seems that we're very far down this road. What are, what are the consequences of not addressing the seizure of power by global creditors? Well, you have it, uh, an example in front of you in Greece uh, and in Europe. Europe, the Eurozone, is being turned into a dead zone because, number one, the government doesn't run deficits to spend money into the economy. That means that the only money that uh, Europeans can get have to be borrowed from the banks at rising interest rates, and uh, more and more interest has to be paid, so the governments uh, ha have to pay by selling off the public domain and privatizing it all. Thatcherism, uh, and the companies have to pay more and more credit, so they can't afford to reinvest in a capital uh, investment. Uh, you have basically uh, the road to stagnation, and that's the road that uh, the United States is taking uh, ever since uh, President Obama decided to save uh, the banks, not the economy. You, uh, something has to give if uh, the economy can't pay the debts. And uh, in, in 2008, uh, either... Uh, the, Let me just the, interject by saying that you were one of the few economists who saw 2008 coming. Using the Babylonian model. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was obvious that if you, uh, the junk mortgage loans, uh, you know, his, Obama had promised to write down the loans to the ability to pay. But then uh, he called the uh, creditors to the White House, the bankers, and said, don't worry, I'm the only guy standing between you and the mob with pitchforks. Uh, Hillary called them uh, deplorables, but uh, Obama called his voters the mob with pitchforks. And he said, my loyalty is with you. You know, I'm going to stand by you. And uh, he left the debts in place. He didn't write them down, and the result is uh, uh, the economy's been moving into stagnation ever since because it's carrying this huge debt burden that is preventing uh, people from using the income they earn to buy goods and services. But you will turn to pay on the CNN bank. and they'll tell you the economy's booming. It is booming for the 1%. And uh, when economists talk about the economy, they talk about Wall Street. To them, the economy is the banks. To a banker, the economy is the banks. Uh, but to a debtor, uh, they're saying, wait a minute, uh, we're, uh, you may call us deplorables, but that's because we have to pay all the money for our, mo our junk mortgages, uh, for high-priced housing that are bid up by the banks, uh, for the student loans. Uh, we, we can't do it. Uh, so the question is, are you going to look at the economy from the vantage point of the creditors or the debtors? And in antiquity, uh, uh, the rulers of the Near East looked at the economy 
in terms of the debtors because you needed them to serve in the army, you needed them to pay taxes, uh, and the creditors' uh, uh, political program was not to pay taxes and to, uh, to uh, make loans and take the uh, cultivators as their own uh, servants uh, on uh, debt servants, and so they couldn't serve in the army. So it would have been economic and political and military suicide not to have canceled the debts uh, in Babylonia. That's why it was so natural. That's why every single society, and I document in the book, uh, uh, every society canceled the debts. Uh, and yet, this is not uh, brought out by, there hasn't been an economic history of antiquity except for the uh, uh, colloquia that we've published out of Harvard. So where's it going to go? I mean, they're, they're certainly with the creditors in charge, which they are. You cannot vote against the interests of Goldman Sachs uh -huh. in the American political system. It doesn't matter whether it's Obama or Trump or Bush right. or anyone else. Where, what is that going to lead to? Well, it's, it's helpful to look at what happened with the Roman Empire. It's helpful to look at what happened in Greece uh, or Latvia or Portugal or Spain or Italy. They're all debt strapped. There, there's unemployment rising, there's emigration, uh, people have to leave the country in order to get a job, uh, the population uh, is declining, the, uh, the number of children, the reproduction rates are declining. You have exactly the same shrinkage that you had in the Roman Empire when the creditors also took over. And uh, they tried militarily to uh, make their colonies and uh, uh, countries they uh, conquered pay, but when there was no one else to conquer, the economy collapsed from within. And uh, that, uh, in terms of the structure, that's the way we're going today. What's the difference then between the crisis we're barreling towards now and 2008? They look identical. But, but is the, could we argue that uh, they can't lower interest rates anymore uh, and so the escape mechanism may not be there? Uh, I don't see any escape mechanism. The lowering interest rates was simply to inflate real housing prices right. and the stock prices. And that's, that uh, inflating the stock prices and lowering the interest rates means people can't get a safe way of saving for their retirement. So, uh, uh, and the pension funds go broke. So there go people's pensions. They're not going to be, uh, the old people are going to be suffering especially as in the case of Greece again, and as was the case in antiquity. So everywhere you look, uh, in putting the interest of the creditors who are the 1% over the 99%, the economy is uh, committing financial suicide. Well, you did that in, what was your book, The Host? Uh, Killing the Host. Killing the Host. Yes. Which uh, is also a very finance good. capitalism is taking over industrial capitalism. Yeah, very important book. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. That was author and economist Michael Hudson who wrote, and forgive them their debts, credit, and redemption. Thanks. Thank you.